My prep this week, actually, so this, this is the way that sermon prep goes for me. It may be different from others, um, but I, I, I prepare, so there's a, there's a difference between preparing as a teacher. Uh, a teacher goes into the scripture, studies, something emerges, that life-changing truth begins to form a message in them, they share out of that message. It's kind of the way, the process of a teacher. A prophet comes into the presence of the Lord, the Lord speaks, and then from that place of revelation, something is born, and then in the midst of that where the Lord has spoken something, you go to the scriptures, not to prove what God said, but rather to find where God said it before. So that process for me, I I prepare a lot more like a prophet than I do a teacher. That's just how it works in me. I spend time with the Lord all week long, and in my quiet times, God's speaking to me. He's moving in my heart. He's doing stuff in my life. And then when I get up here on a weekend, I just share out of what God's been doing in me. That seems to work. It does okay, you know. It might be different than your process, but that's just how it works for me. The last two weeks, my quiet times have been on Sodom and Gomorrah. That doesn't preach well. And, and so I'm like, Lord, let's, let's shift gears a little bit here. Now, it made a great study. Man, I know a lot about that subject, okay? But I, I'm deep diving into how God, you know, would deal with cities, deal with nations, deal with, and, I, and I'm studying through the scripture, and, and amazing revelations coming. It's wonderful. But when it comes to preparing a sermon out of something like, you know, the fire of God falling on your city and destroying everything, it doesn't come across the way that you might want it to at Christmas time. So, so yesterday, this was Saturday, I'm, I, my practice is to spend, uh, I, I, Saturday is kind of my Sabbath. I, I will spend large chunks of the day just waiting on the Lord, spending time in his presence. And, and uh, in the midst of that, normally thoughts come together and something emerges for me to share on the weekend. So that's just my pattern. So yesterday, I'm in a little bit of a panic because I'm like, Lord, I'm not preaching on Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> It's Christmas time. This is not the time, right? Like, this is way to the new year, you know. And um, anyway, so, so I am like begging the Holy Spirit. I'm like, Holy Spirit, would you please just give me a different scripture reference? Just something. And immediately he says, okay, son. And this is the passage he gives me. Luke 10. I'm like, sweet. I know Luke 10. I'm reading through it, okay? And then I come to this line it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for you. <laughs> like, oh, come on, you gotta be kidding me. I'm like, I'm like, Lord, no, I knew scripture. Just something else, please, like seriously, I will preach this sermon, but just not now. And, uh, and he's, like, he's like, it's okay, son. <laughs> he says, how about Matthew 13? So I open up to Matthew 13, right? And uh, <laughs> and this is what it says. The Son of Man will send his angels forth, and they'll come and gather out of his kingdom all the stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and throw them into the furnace of fire. 
Okay, good. Lord, please, just one more. It's like, he's, <laughs> I can almost hear like the Lord laughing. Now, I am telling you, okay, this is, a, I'm not thinking of this because, I, because of the way that I just, my relationship with the Lord, like I hear his voice, like this process is very vibrant for me. And so, so immediately I can hear almost like a laugh, like a chuckle, and he goes, Luke 12. And something settles in me like, like, you did well. You've been pursuing. You know that it's not supposed to come from an edge of judgment. Like, this isn't the word. There's something else there. And so Luke 12, I'm like, and something settles in me, and I go, okay, good. This will be it, right? Verse 49, I have come to cast fire upon the earth. Okay, Jesus. So that was how my prep went this week. So we should pray. Ready? <laughs> Lord, speak to us. You are doing something in this moment of history, and we want to be aware. So would you release revelation this morning of the Son of God, that we would be transformed into his likeness, that we would embrace his coming the way it was supposed to be embraced. Lord, that Christmas would be transformational because something awakens in our heart where we come to realize Jesus, the risen King, the one who came to bring change to it all. So Holy Spirit, this morning, I pray for a fresh baptism of your presence of life and your fire. I thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you meant it, because here we go. Ready? Um, in my formative years, I'll, I'll just call it that, there, I got radically saved by Jesus um, age 17. I was a senior in high school, and uh, I had an encounter with the Lord that changed everything for me. Uh, I was in a real significant state of rebellion. My heart was very hard towards my family, towards the Lord, towards uh, anything that, uh, frankly, had to do with God. And in that state, uh, I had parents who were praying. I had a mom who was standing, and every time she got around her friends, was asking them to pray. And, and the result was this, that there was a moment where the Lord came to me, and his statement was this. It wasn't the kinder, gentler Jesus. It's not how I got saved. How I got saved was the Lord encountered me where his voice said to me, as clear as I'm talking to you right now, he said, it is now or it is never, son. Like an ultimatum. I felt it quicken in my heart so significantly, the fear of the Lord came over me, and it was a moment of decision. I got up from my class, went out to a payphone, called my parents, had them come pick me up from school, I went home and I confessed everything that I was involved in. At the time, I was involved in several illegal activities. My heart was so hard, y'all. Was, I was not the kind of person you wanted hanging out with your kids. I was in a really bad place. I confessed all this stuff, and the process of repentance had begun. Because I opened 
the dam of what was unredeemed in me, the hardness of my heart, when I let down the guard, the fire of God began to come upon my life and consume everything that hindered me from walking with him. The things that hindered me from walking with in fellowship with my family, with people that frankly were good, would be good influences, the ones who would participate in my future. I had no connection to them because of all this junk that was in my life. And in that moment of confession, the Lord removed all the junk and started. It was an ignition point for my faith. I had belief before this, but this ignition point, boom, all of a sudden, I'm on fire for God. His fire had removed everything that had hindered, and now all of a sudden, I'm lit up where everywhere I go, I am being life to people, and as I'm sharing Jesus, it's bringing conviction to them. I ended up preaching the gospel to everyone in my class. That's not an exaggeration. I got voted like uh, a prom king or whatever, and I wasn't there. I was at a, a, uh, on a missions trip, but the votes from the whole school had been so overwhelmingly in my favor that they couldn't put somebody else in place, so they carried my picture in the coronation process and read my speech, and my speech was sharing the gospel to people. This is like, I went from the bad guy to that, right? It didn't remove popularity, it made me more popular because I liked people and they liked me. It was an incredible experience. The fire of God lit me up and everything changed. Okay, that's my conversion point. God's fire removed everything that hindered, and all of a sudden, I became contagious. In the midst of that, I had no experience with or knowledge of, no teaching really, no foundation for the things of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, these kind of things. But I'm reading my Bible all the time. I'm discovering in the book of Acts that there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit, and there's this experience that's possible. And then I'm reading authors who have also experienced this baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the gifts of the Spirit are alive, and they're talking about the testimonies of healing and transformation. All this kind of stuff is I'm filling my head with. And in the midst of my journey of I'm on fire for Jesus, at that point I was in the military and I was stationed in Biloxi, Mississippi along the Gulf Coast in 1997 and somebody introduces me to a church a little bit down the road in Pensacola. It's called the Brownsville Assembly of God. 1997, they're experiencing a Holy Spirit outpouring. And I go down to one of these meetings and in the midst of worship, I get baptized in the Holy Spirit. I had been curious about and I'm pursuing and I'm going, God, I want more of you in my life. And in the midst of the journey of pursuit, the presence and the power of God so falls upon me, I thought it was going to kill me. This is my experience. Lights me up. I go back to my base. I'm sharing Jesus like I've never shared before. I thought I was on fire before. Turns out you can be even more on fire. Preaching, loving, leading people to Jesus. Our little chapel service on base goes from 15 people, literally, to 500, and it's overflowing rooms. I'm leading worship at the time. I'm a terrible musician in these days. But a little band forms around me, and we're leading worship, and we end up, the chaplaincy of the military doesn't know what to do with this experience because they've never seen anything like this. We're having revival. 
They've never seen anything like this, and so they bring in the top brass of the chaplaincy, full bird colonels, generals, these kind of people, so that me and my little band can play a private concert for them because they're convinced that it must be the music that is gathering all the people. But it turns out we were kind of a terrible band. So we're just playing, you know, garbage can music. The difference was the fire of the Holy Spirit. He was on us and in us, and we were lit up. We loved Jesus, and that, whoo, is that infectious. Changes everything. Are you alive? I want to say this statement before I get into anything else, okay? The same fire of God that consumed Sodom and Gomorrah is the fire. It's the same fire. It's not a different fire. God doesn't have different types of fire. It is the same fire that consumed Sodom and Gomorrah that falls upon the believer's life and lights them up. It's the same fire. Would you turn over to Luke chapter 12? Let's begin. Man, we're going to have fun. Whew, I hope you came ready. Luke chapter 12, we're going to start at verse 49. This is Jesus speaking. I have come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you, no. Rather, division. From now on, five members in one household will be divided. Three against two, two against three. They'll be divided father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother-in-law, against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He was also saying to the crowds, when you see the cloud rising in the west, immediately say, a shower is coming. And so it turns out. And when you see a south wind blowing, you say, it's going to be a hot day. And it turns out that way. Verse 56, you hypocrites. You know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and the sky. Why do you not analyze the times? Why do you not even, on your own initiative, judge what is right? For while you're going with your opponent to appear before the magistrate or the judge, on your way, make efforts to settle with him so that he may not drag you before the judge and the judge turn you over to the officer and the officer throw you in prison. I say to you, you will not get out until you've paid the very last cent. This passage is like, man, if there's no context to it, like how in the world do you <laughs> interpret it? The previous passages, Jesus is talking about how you need to be a faithful servant. How he, the king, the judge, will come back at some point very soon, and it'll be like a thief in the night. That when the owner, the master, comes back, if he finds his servants misbehaving, that he'll treat them as the unbeliever. He'll discipline them. But if he finds a servant who's obeying what he intended, then 
there'll be great reward. And in the midst of that, you read that kind of a passage and you go, man, how do I interpret that in a New Testament point of view? It doesn't, you, you try to make parallels with your life right now and it, it doesn't work out. This morning, what I'm going to do is I want to share the historical context of what he's saying here, why it means something significant for our day, and to lift off of you the fear of the times that we're in. Okay? Look up here. Meet me in my eyes, okay? Just look. look. The fear of the days that we're in. You have no fear. There's nothing to be afraid of. The days you are in are the great and glorious days of the king's rule. You're not in these last days of destruction. Don't look to the scriptures to find the doom and gloom of some coming storm. That will put you in a bad mood, and you're meant to be joyous because of what Jesus has done. We're going to walk through these scriptures and see just how the fire of God now is kindled on the earth, and it doesn't look the way that, you know, maybe we thought it would. Are you alive this morning? Come on, we're going to itch the curiosity, I'm going to set you free from fear, and we're going to have some momentum, a kick in the pants to head into the new season. Sound good? It's my Christmas gift to you. Um, Real quick, because I studied it so much this last week, we're going to look at Sodom and Gomorrah. You ready? All right, here we go. Genesis chapter 18. Genesis 18. It's the story leading up to the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. If you're not familiar with this story, God decides that this society, the, what has been produced in it is only evil, that there is nothing good coming out of it and there's not a redemptive purpose to it, that it needs to be removed. God in his sovereignty decides that this, what's going on here, needs to be removed. He comes to Abraham. This is verse 16. Genesis chapter 18, verse 16. He's been, the angel of the Lord has been talking with Abraham and then these the angel rose up, and he looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. In verse 17, the Lord said, should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Can I tell you that when you are walking with God, he'll tell you secrets. He'll trust your counsel. It's weird to have the God of the universe ask you what you think about something. That your heart affects things. That he brings you into his circle, that your prayers affect God's heart. Like, how can that be? The God of the universe invites you close as a friend. That when you're a baby, when you're not, when you're under the tutelage of being grown, that there's not much counsel you can gather from a three year old. But as you walk with the Lord and you grow in him and he begins to talk to you more frankly and there's this relationship that develops, frankly, in maturity. There are words for the mature and there are words for those who are needing milk to be nursed along and grown in their faith. You, you know the difference. Milk is when somebody else eats the meat and produces something in themselves and then feeds it to you. This, what we do on Sunday mornings, is milk. I know it might feel like a steak sometimes, but it ain't. It's just high-grade milk. Right? Because I'm eating steak all week. This is what happens. 
when you go and get it yourself, when you go and you cut down the beef and you take it to the, to the cook and you eat it, you, got, you pull it out, this is steak. This is, the word for the mature comes from your direct relationship with the Lord. There's nothing in between it. There's something that grows in maturity. Abraham is walking with the Lord. In the midst of this mature relationship, God looks at him and says, should I hide this from you or not? Do you want to know? Verse 20 excuse me, verse 19, I chose him, speaking of Abraham, to command his children and his household after me to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord would bring upon Abraham what he had spoken about him. The Lord said, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah indeed is great and their sin is exceedingly grave. I'm going to go down and I'm going to take a look what they have done entirely according to this outcry which has come to me, and if not, I'll know it. The men turned away from them and went down to Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham was standing before the Lord. Verse 23, then he came near and he said, will you really sweep away the wicked with the righteous? And this conversation begins to happen where Abraham goes, hey, listen, what if there's 50 righteous people living there? Will you really destroy everybody? What if there are 50 people who are willing to walk with you? Isn't that enough influence in the city to turn the city? Does it really need to be destroyed? God goes, okay, for 50, I won't. Abraham, you know, bucks up a little bit. He whittles the number all the way down to 10. And by the time he gets to 10, he says, Lord, listen, don't be mad at me, but what if there's only 10 people? Wouldn't that be enough? to save a city? Wouldn't that be enough to justify that God's works could be like leaven and grow within the culture of a city to redeem a city's purposes? Isn't it possible that even with 10 people under the old covenant, before Christ, that it would be possible to turn an entire culture that is hell-bent on evil? 10 people could redeem a culture. God goes, you know what? For 10 I'll save the city. He goes down, and he doesn't find anybody. And if you know the story, he comes to Lot, who is Abraham's nephew. And it says about Lot in Hebrews that, that Lot's soul was tormented by the evil that was all around him, but he was participating in the culture. He's making his money off the culture. He is thriving in the midst of that culture. He raises his family. He's got his kids, his wife. His daughters are marrying people of the culture. He's fully immersed in the culture. The angel of the Lord comes to Lot, and the men of the city gather around, and it's a horrid situation. They're going to abuse the men of those angels, and they're going to destroy Lot and his family. They've chosen. And in the midst of that, the angels go, it's enough. We've seen enough. They give blindness to the crowds that they're unable to destroy them. The angels look at Lot, and they go, you need to leave because God's going to deal with this place. Lot panics and goes, I have son-in-laws. Well, then get them out. And by morning, the son-in-laws refuse to go, integrated into the culture. They're not letting go. They don't even believe him. They think he's lot, like jesting. Lot turns to his family. They're still, I'm not sure. The angel of the Lord shows up and says, it's time. Daybreak is coming. The dawn is coming. The moment of decision has come upon you. You must choose. Now or, or never, son. 
I don't know what the consequence is for the, mm, maybe not. But the hesitation of Lot and his family, the angels look at him and say, listen, we cannot do what we have been assigned to do while you're standing here because, and it says this about Lot, because God has chosen to put his compassion to anoint you with his mercy. That on Lot, he had been marked by God for mercy. He will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. He had marked Lot for mercy, and the angel of the Lord says, I can't do my job to destroy all of this while you are still here because God marked you with mercy. So while you're here, destruction doesn't come. The angel grabs him and makes his decision for him, drags the family out of town. Lot is saying to him, I can't run to the hills. No, you got to make it over the mountaintop or you're going to be destroyed. No, we're too weak. We're too integrated with culture. We're, we need city life. We're not country folk. Let us go to one of these littler towns in the valley. They choose one. One little town, and the family runs to that town, and the angel says, as soon as you get there, fireworks are going to start. And as they're going, fire of heaven begins to fall on the entire valley. Not just Sodom and Gomorrah, but everything and everyone in that whole valley is destroyed. Except for the town that Lot chose to dwell in. Because mercy covered the fire of the Lord destroys everything that stands in the way of God's will. That is what the fire of God is for. The fire of God consumes all of his enemies. The fire of God removes away all forms of evil that do not submit to the will of God. This is what the fire of God does. Old Testament, New Testament, it's consistent all the way through. This is what the presence of God does. His fire consumes the enemies. That which is unable to stand in eternity face-to-face -face with him will be consumed. One day, your life will be judged on that same fire. You will be sprinkled with his holy fire. And everything that was worthless will be burned up. And everything that had value will remain. And if something remains, then you get rewarded. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Do you know that you're not supposed to live your whole life wondering, but that the fire of God can come upon your life now? God's fire removes evil. God's fire removes the system of the world that is outside of his ways. It's what it's for. But even under the old covenant, God's mercy covers look over at Matthew chapter 3 I love Christmas anybody else love Christmas I do I love it the story of Jesus coming though is it's not about wise men it's not about it is a covert operation inserting the very element of change into society there's a war about to break loose. Shepherds are on the hillside, and they're just tending their sheep by night. You know the story. And then all of a sudden, it says there's a choir of angels. It doesn't say choir of angels. It's an armada. It is warrior 
angelic hosts, it's the army of heaven all of a sudden shows up in full array gathered around the Christ. Why? So that nothing demonic can take place on this night. Why? Because God was bringing his rule into the world and he's taken the joint over. And nothing stands before him. That's Jesus. That's Christmas. Matthew 3, this is John the Baptist talking about Jesus. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who comes after me is mightier than I. I'm not even fit to remove his sandals. This is Matthew 3, verse 11. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And fuego Dios. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. And he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up with chaff with unquenchable fire. That's the ministry of Christ. Do you know that was the ministry of Christ? What did it look like? Did it look like Sodom and Gomorrah? It didn't look like Sodom and Gomorrah, did it? There was something else going on. But the very fire of God that consumed Sodom and Gomorrah is resting on Jesus' life, and he's the one bringing this baptism into the world. And oh, does he wish that fire was already at hand. That's his statement, Luke 12. Man, I wish it was kindled right now because I would like to see the fireworks show. But I have to undergo a baptism, Jesus said. He said, I got to insert. I have to make the way so that people can be covered by mercy. Look at this. This is, um, think, think about this for a moment, okay? Sodom and Gomorrah, the fire of God comes, nothing redeemed in the culture. For 10 people who are willing to walk with God, it would have all been saved. But there's no one. Lot is pulled out. Judgment comes. God's mercy covers the little town that Lot is in. Because Lot had been anointed with his compassion or his mercy. Think about another story. Do you remember Jonah? Jonah is given the assignment from God to go to Nineveh because God is about to destroy Nineveh the way he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. But Jonah is resisting because he doesn't want to go because he don't like those people. It says this. Like, this is, like he doesn't like them. I know what they're like. I don't want to go anywhere near them. And besides that, I know you, God. I'm going to go there. There's going to be at least 10 people that change their mind, and you're going to save the city instead of destroy it. Forget it. I'm not going. Jonah wants to see the fireworks. Jonah wants to see Nineveh destroyed. That's Jonah's disposition. But see, God had made Jonah a messenger. He's a prophet. He's a messenger. It's the same word as angel, by the way, messenger. Jonah is the messenger of the Lord, the way that the angel of the Lord came to Abraham as the messenger. Jonah's the messenger to Nineveh. Jonah runs. You know the story. Jonah gets swallowed by a big fish. Jonah gets spat up on the shore and has to hike his way into Nineveh after being in a fish for three days. I wonder what digestion looks like on the complexion. This dude's a mess when he rolls into town. Right? I mean, he rolls into town totally haggard. Blah, you know? God's about to destroy this place. And his message is not so turn. His message is, you're going to burn. 
Yeah, he's not trying to show compassion. He's trying to, but the message, if the message is received, if there's repentance, if there's a turning, if there's any form of choice to submit to God's ways, God goes, my man. And what it says is that when Jonah preached the message of doom, that what came upon the people was repentance. They chose to repent and turn. Maybe God will spare us if we choose to turn. Maybe the now or never son moment for them is when someone says to them, hey, you're about to die. You should make things right with God. Maybe the now or never son looks like, hey, we are needing to have an intervention in your life because you are out of control. Maybe the now or never looks like an ultimatum in a relationship. Listen, I want to stay married to you, but you cannot continue to behave like this. I need repentance. I need us to turn. I need something to change. Because in the changing of the heart, when the fire of God comes, it doesn't destroy, it remakes. The fire of God is coming to Nineveh, and this is the thing that I want you to see. The fire of God has already been determined. It is coming to Nineveh. God's fire is going to fall in the city, and Jonah is there to announce it. And at the end of his announcing it, he goes, all right, it's time. He goes up on a hillside, and he sits down. He makes himself a little shelter, and now he is waiting for the dawn, the start of the new day, the breaking open of the new thing. Because when the season transitioned, when it's time... When the breaking forth comes and the sun peaks, that's when the fire of God is going to come upon Nineveh. And so he's up there, and all of a sudden God causes a supernatural plant to grow out of the ground and bring him shade. And he's thinking to himself, oh man, God must like me. This is going to be good. And he's waiting for the fireworks, and the fireworks never come. The city's not destroyed. And he starts getting mad at God. And then a worm destroys the plant. And Jonah is sitting there raging at God because he's like, I knew you would do this. I knew you're compassionate, you're merciful, and I knew you weren't going to destroy them. I knew it. I knew that if I preached, I knew that if I let somebody know that hell is real, that if I let someone know that their life is miserable because they're choosing this and that they don't have to live under this kind of torment, I knew that if I said it to them, they would turn their hearts and you'd be merciful. And that's exactly what happens. When the fire of God comes at daybreak, instead of destroying, what happens? Nineveh is remade as a culture. God's fire brought transformation instead of destruction. Jesus says to his disciples in this passage he goes i came to cast fire upon the earth i have a baptism to undergo and then he talks about this he says you can judge the weather but you're unable to discern the moment you're in let me tell you the moment that you're in do you remember there's these several times all throughout the Gospels. Actually, if you read this and you're not understanding what's happening, it'd be really confusing and even scary at points. Jesus is talking about, you know, like Matthew 24, the end of the age. The end of the age is coming. He's announcing to people, listen, 
Everything is about to change. The end of the age is here. The day of the Lord's at hand. You need to be ready. When a thief comes, you should be ready. If the head of the household knew that it was coming, you'd be prepared. He sends his disciples all throughout every city in Israel, every city, to proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He tells his disciples, if a person of peace is there, if they recognize, if there's something of, if there's an openness, stay with that person, heal the sick, minister to them, announce to them the kingdom, the rule of heaven is at hand. It's here. It's been introduced to your city. The, the, the antidote for this is at hand. If you'll receive it, the mercy of God will cover you. If not, this is what he said to do. If they reject the message that the kingdom of heaven's at hand, then they were to go outside the city and even shake off the dust off their feet as a testament against that city. And then he said this, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that city when I come. When I come, when the day of the Lord comes, when the, angel, when the end of the age comes, the cities that received the kingdom would be spared. Mercy would cover them. But the cities that rejected would get destroyed. Matthew 24, Jesus says this, this generation will not pass before all these things come to pass. But for some reason, Christians still hold on to that kind of idea and bring it forward into our day. But he was talking about a generation that would experience it actually in their day. For all my Jesus people in the house, I love y'all, but man, the eschatology was bad. The late great planet Earth, whoo, man, we had that wrong. The 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 88. <laughs> and then in 1989, the 89 reasons why Jesus is coming back and one of the reasons why he didn't come back in 88. And Gorbachev has the mark and that's why he's got the birthmark. Do you remember all these things? This is, this is the kind of garbage that we bring forth and we're looking for evil in our day, understanding not what Jesus was talking about. Jesus literally had his disciples go city to city announcing that the kingdom was at hand. Why? Because Israel's day was about to be fully judged by God's fire. Their day was coming to an end. The day of the Lord was drawing near. Within one generation, Jesus is 33 when he passes, and by 70 AD, within 40 years... 70 AD, Rome comes in with a vengeance and destroys Israel. Jerusalem is completely leveled, y'all. Burned, destroyed. Jesus looks at the Temple Mount and goes, not one stone will be left on top of it. That's a true story. The gold that was covering the rocks melted in the fire, got within the crevices, and Rome's armies took and leveled, removed every stone off of the temple to get at the gold. It's all in rubble still to this day. The New Testament is filled with warnings where Paul is going, listen, you know that the day of the Lord is drawing near. Don't let anybody say to you, it has come already. No, 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 it's coming. That's not for today. That was for their day. Their day. 
Because they actually experienced it. Jerusalem was destroyed utterly. The Jews were completely decimated. Israel was no more. The worship system, the entire worship system of Israel was ended forever. The old covenant is no more. It's done. Gone. The veil is torn. The presence of the Lord is available to all. It is not within that old structure anymore. And Jesus' warnings to the Jews were so clear. So clear. You see the storm coming, but you can't judge and determine the day you're in. You're missing the whole thing. Listen, you've been my servants for so long, but when the master comes, will he find you doing what he sets you to do? Or have you been enculturated by the world and you have no value for seeing culture redeemed? Jesus has a fire to bring to the earth, and he's going to bring it, but he has a baptism to undergo first. This is Christmas, y'all. That Jesus provides the way. How? What's the way? The man Jesus had the anointing of mercy on him. The man Jesus goes through the grave and makes the way that through Christ you would be covered and that when the fire comes, when your judgment comes, when your day comes, you will be covered by mercy. That you will not undergo the fire that destroys, but rather the fire will bring redemption. Welcome to the kingdom age. We're not in a day looking for destruction. Please change the way you are thinking. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. In the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, the angels of God go into the land and they gather up destructive people and remove the destructive people so that the righteous people can shine. That's what it looks like in a kingdom age. It looks like corruption getting undone. It looks like racism coming to an end, finally, being exposed for the evil that it is. It looks like cultures reconciling and looking at their history and going, man, I think we need to talk about this. That's what it looks like when angels start to deal with God's fire on cultures that have not submitted to the Lord. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm announcing to you the kingdom of heaven's at hand. You're not looking for a destructive day. We're not in the last days the way that you think. We're in the great and glorious days of the Lord. The day of the Lord came for Israel. It came. It's a historical fact. Josephus has wrote it down. There's a historical document documenting all the horrors and atrocities. And Jesus' instructions, and this is what's so amazing to me, Jesus' instructions that you should pray that it doesn't come in winter, that, that oh, how hard it'll be if you're a woman who is, in, who is pregnant at that time, that when you see these things coming, you should run for the hills. Do you know what the historical account is concerning the Christians who were living in Jerusalem? Not a single one of them died. Because when they saw it coming, they all ran. Because they knew that the day of the Lord was at hand and God was actually judging Israel. The fire had been kindling and he had laid it down. Because the new had come and the old has passed away. Are you alive? Where does that leave you? Where does that leave the day that we are in? Who are we then? Is the message turn or burn? What does the day of the Lord look like for your life? Maybe there's a day coming where you got some major decisions to make. You've been living in the world like Lot. The Lord's saying to you, listen, do you understand 
that you will be salted with his fire. You will be. There's not a way to get out of it. This is the judgment. That Jesus came to baptize you with the Spirit, to fill you with life, and to baptize your life with his fire. And when you get baptized with fire, it sets you on fire. But it also leaves no discussion for lukewarmness. It leaves no discussion for playing in the world over here and living for God over here. It leaves no room. If you knew that you were going to die today, what kind of things would you do? If you knew at 4 o'clock this afternoon, it's going to happen. You're going to pass away. You knew it. You knew the hour when the judge was coming for you. Wouldn't you go out right now and put your household in order? Wouldn't you go make right those relationships that are out, knowing that they're going to be tested with fire? Wouldn't you right now put your finances in order? Wouldn't you right now go deal with corruption, knowing that it's going to come out after you pass? Wouldn't you right now deal with these things that when the fire of God touches them will be exposed and destroyed? Wouldn't you right now put your household in order? The fire of God is here. He's with you as a people. When a person hears the message of truth, there is an opportunity for mercy to cover their life. Because they go, ah, I am willing, like the Ninevites, I'm willing to repent, to change my mind. Oh, I can see that I don't want to live that way. I'm going to choose to live this way. That turning of the heart, God sees, and his mercy covers you. If the Holy Spirit walked in the room right now as a person, and you were able to converse with him, and he's able to see everything in your life, wouldn't the logical question be, Lord, is there anything out of whack? Is there anything that you need to deal with me? Is there anything I'm needing to deal with? Anything I'm needing to put right? Isn't that the logical question before the day comes upon your life? You're not looking for the day of destruction for America, please. You're not looking for the day of destruction for the nations. That, please stop looking for that. Start living with mercy on your life. And let's light the world up with his holy fire so that his kingdom can emerge in culture. Sons and daughters of God will uproot and destroy the works of the devil in culture, and we can be living in a day where the kids, kids of God shine like the stars. Be a beautiful time in history when the weapons are turned into plows, when war is no more, when these things are not for the far-off day, these things are a gift to us now if we'll embrace them. That's the message of the cross. And you are the messengers. You have mercy on your life. And every time you share Jesus, every time you give people hope, every time you speak like that to people, mercy has the opportunity to cover them too. If the Holy Spirit came to you today and he said, hey, there's some things that I want to talk to you about. Right now in your heart, you would know what he would say. You know why I know that? Because when your heart accuses you, your conscience is not clean. If there's an area of your life where your heart, your conscience, accuses you, what that looks like is this. Man, I feel guilty about the way I'm raising my kids. I feel guilty about, you know, 
how I treated my wife. I feel guilty about it. I feel the, the, it's a conviction. There's a clarity. There's a, mm, I know that if God's fire touched my relationship, it would need to change. And if you know these things, blessed are you if you will intentionally choose to start doing them. Because as soon as you start doing them, God's mercy comes over it. And instead of conviction, you'll begin to burn with passion and you'll start to see transformation instead of destruction. Man, your relationship with your kids, the ones that are far off, it doesn't have to remain in a broken state. Why don't you humble yourself and repent to go make things right? Why do they need to come to you? Why don't you be the bigger man? Go make right it with them. Why are you waiting for him, your husband, to make something right? Why don't we intentionally choose mercy? Why don't we extend mercy? Why don't we burn with passion and love for Christ in a way that we go, man, I received his mercy, and I'm not going to be judged, and so now I have the opportunity to go make things right with people. Are you alive? How about your business dealings? What does it look like if the fire of God touches your business? What kind of corruption gets removed out of that? What kind of, what kind of evil comes out of your finances? Where are you spending your money? If you go ahead and brought your books in and we laid them open for all the church to see and we just started going line by line through stuff, where are you spending money? Let's look at that for a second. Is there immoral choices there? Is there destructive choices? As if the fire of God touched your finances? But we're not going to do this, by the way. Like, people are like, ooh, geez. No. If the fire of God touched your finances, what remains? What remains is what you've brought to him, what you've already allowed God to test. Well, your conscience doesn't accuse you of. So then right now, if you already know these things, do you want to have joy again? Do you want to burn with passion for Jesus again? Repent. The kingdom of heaven's at hand. Don't wait for the altar call. Make it right. Don't wait for us to have another series of revival services. Come on, church. Burn for Jesus. Make it right with him. I wonder what would happen if everyone in this room decided to do that. What would happen if you went home today and you made it right with all the relationships that you're out of whack with? What would happen if you chose, you repented, you said, Lord, I'm inviting you into all this. I want your kingdom manifested. What would happen if you made that choice before it's now or never? Why do we have to learn by pain? Why don't we choose wisdom? Are you alive today? Come on, would you stand to your feet this morning? Merry Christmas. Church, we have been praying for revival. We're in the season. It's here. This is it. This is what revival looks like. Revival looks like something that was dead. Something that was alive once, this is what revival is. You want to know my definition? This is revival. Something was alive at one point and burned and brought fruit and was doing good and then it cooled down and it's in a pattern of decay and one day it will die. That should not be your spiritual arc. Burned with Jesus and then eh, slow coast to the end. That's not you. That's not you. Come on, you're in retirement. How about refirement? It's time. Revival is not a time where you back off. Revival means this, is that when you hit that and you go, man, I think I'm in decay, you choose in that moment to go, oh, I don't want decay. Lord, bring your fire. 
Let your fire fall on my life again. You choose repentance before it finds you. You don't have to wait for his judgment. You don't have to wait for consequences. Choose him. Lord, if there's anything, if there's unclean ways in me, would you please show me? Holy Spirit, I want your life to flow through me. I want your fire to burn in me. I won't want anything to, to remain that's not of you. Holy Spirit of God, I want this church to burn with fire. That people would be impassioned for you. That the world would know that you're real. That your kingdom's at hand. Lord, for every business person as they go into their workplace, Lord, that they would be lit up and corruption could not exist around them. And that your angels would go before them and remove corruption so that the righteous ways of God would shine like the stars. Holy Spirit, would you anoint your people today? Sprinkle us with fire, O oh God. Church, I'm going to prophesy to you over the next four weeks, I truly believe that God's going to do something in this church. The next four weeks, I think that there's a shift, there's a turning that has taken place for us as a church, as a congregation. And this is one of these steps. It's an embracing wholeheartedly, Lord, we want your holy fire. Come, Lord Jesus, come. It's a shifting of our mindset. You're not looking for the day of gloom and trying to prove that it's the end times. Please stop that. Embrace the reality that today you live in an age where if you will burn with passion, the fire of the Lord will begin to remove destructive, demonic things around you. You will bring redemption to culture. You're in the kingdom age. His kingdom's at hand. Holy Spirit, would you come now? pray this with me and put a hand on your own heart I'm just praying the most dangerous prayer I know Holy Spirit if there's any unclean way in me would you please show me so that I can make it right I choose today to repent I'm turning my heart towards you I want to be on fire for you Jesus Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Lord, I thank you that even the smallest decision like that starts a blaze that cannot be contained. I pray, Lord God, that you would come and that you would touch marriages and that you'd redeem them. They would not be destroyed. But the consequences are at hand, and so you do need to turn. You need to change. Come on. Repent. And let God's fire remake the relationship instead of you allowing it to be destroyed with your hard-heartedness. Stop. Turn. Surrender. Humble yourself. For businesses that are about to go through judgment, listen, this word was so strong on me. Businesses that are about to go through the fire, about to go through judgment, there is a, there's a, a day that's at hand and you're really needing to make sure that your stuff is in order. And you've been feeling that for a while. Please go and set things right. So as the fire of God comes, as the destructive is, it happens to, to the things of the enemy, as that stuff is taken away and exposed, that righteous things can remain, that something good will remain. Holy Spirit, 
where you have felt conviction in your heart about certain things, like, man, you just feel guilty about your relationship with your kids, would you stop your current behavior then and go start to do something different with your relationship with your kids? Choose to repent and turn, and God's holy fire will come upon you and remake it. It will turn it for good. God, I pray for your people today that you would grant such great mercy and grace upon them in these days. Lord, that even as we close a year out and we celebrate Christmas, that relationships would be restored, that hearts would be remade, that people that don't know you and are far off from you would come home, that life would be restored, and that something good and beautiful would come out of, Lord, loss. I thank you for this. Thank you for this, Lord. Thank you for Father, I pray these things this morning in the mighty name of Jesus. I bless your people. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord be so gracious to you. May his favor rest on you. May the kingdom of his peace rest on your life, that everywhere you go, you would anoint others with mercy and that God's fire would bring transformation around you. I pray these things this morning in the mighty name of Jesus. And anybody who dared to agree with that said, amen. Come on, can we give a good clap to the Lord this morning?